Well, God bless you, beloved. God bless you. We, this is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. We're coming to you this Thursday evening for the first of our two weekly installments of our teaching ministry, The Truth of the Gospel, The Truth. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The Truth of the Gospel. We're going to continue in our study of the uh, Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Ephesian Christians. We're going to continue in chapter 1. We're going to pick up today at uh, verse 12. We're going to try to do verses 12, 13, and 14. And then Sunday at 11 a.m. we'll pick up wherever we leave off tonight. Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. And we're, we're seeing uh, what Paul is saying here. Very, um, as the word of God always is, very, very interesting. But uh, I notice in the, in the Ephesian letter, he's... He, he's really harping on, he's really emphasizing, honing in on, homing in on, uh, and it's by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inspiring him to do it. He's, he's, he's homing in on uh, the doctrine of predestination, God's foreordained plan. We have to remember that God uh, is omniscient, meaning he knows all. Uh, so nothing is new to him. Uh, so that's why I read Isaiah 44 and 6. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Not 44, 6. I read Isaiah 46 and 10. And I'm going to read that verse again tonight as it pertains to the Lord. Remember, the Lord is, is all-knowing. So there's nothing uh, new for God as far as I know he says I do a new thing in the heaven and earth I, but it's new to us it's not new to him he, he's, he's, he knows I'm going to go ahead and read the verse to you right now God says through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 46 I'll start at verse uh, 9 remember the former things of old for I am God and there is none else I am God and there is none like me there is no one like the Lord behold the Jewish Shema is from Deuteronomy is behold the Lord our God is one God he, he manifests himself in three different persons but he's one God he manifests himself in Father, Son and Holy Spirit but he's one God so he says in Isaiah 46 and 10 I declare the end from the beginning God knows the end from the beginning remember Jesus our Lord said in several places, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. And so God knows all things. So when God says that something is foreordained, predestined before the foundation of the world, he's, he's essentially saying, I have all knowledge. There's nothing happening that is new that catches God by surprise. It catches us by surprise because we're finite. It catches us. These things catch us by surprise. The, the murder of uh, Mr. Floyd in uh, Minneapolis or the murder of Breonna Taylor in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. The, the murder of Ahmad Arbery in Glen County, Georgia. The murder of four little girls in 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama. The murder of Walter Scott in North Charleston, South Carolina. Th these things catch us by surprise. Nothing catches God by surprise because he's God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, 
omniscient means he has all knowledge. You see, part of that word is where we get the word science, knowledge. He's omniscient. He has all knowledge. Nothing catches God by surprise. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, he knew they would. He didn't make them sin, but he knew they would because he's God. He has that knowledge. We don't have that kind of knowledge. I know there are psychics who claim to have that knowledge, and there are some psychics, uh, and, and there are psychics who are operating under demonic uh, energy, and so they may be able to prophesy the future to a certain extent. I, I get that. But as far as pure prophecy, as far as uh, perfect prophecy that is holy, it comes from God, because He's He's when Jesus spoke in the Olivet Discourse, it's because Jesus had that prophetic insight. When uh, when when Paul and Peter and the other apostles, James and John, when they spoke, and what we have today is the New Testament, it's because God gave them that insight. God opened the eyes of their understanding so that they could be the foundation of the New Testament church and so that they, in turn, could uh, uh, evangelize, evangelize and so there could be, uh, and so the church could grow. The Bible says the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, or some translations say such as were being saved. Well, how is that happening? It's only happening by the grace of God. It's only happening by the moving of God's Holy Spirit. All right. So anyway, so God is all all knowing. There's 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 nothing. He's he's. Let me read Isaiah forty six and ten again. De I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. God says I will do all my pleasure. Now, how does that relate to Ephesians? Because there's a passage in Ephesians that says when, that God saving us is according to his good pleasure. It's according to his good pleasure. God saving us is strictly by his grace. God saving us is strictly by his mercy. It, 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 it's not us, it's the Lord. God says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. What are we going to do? There's nothing we can do about it. God says, I'll have mercy on whoever I'll have mercy, and I'll show compassion on whoever I'll show compassion. God says, if I want to raise up a vessel and fit that vessel for destruction, for my glory, God says, I'll do that. What are we going to do about it? We can get mad about it, and, and we can pretend like it's not true. You can tell me today is not Thursday. It doesn't mean it's not Thursday. It just means you don't believe it's Thursday. So the things that God does, they're because he's God. He's sovereign. God never gets a, a neck ache, a sore neck, because he never looks up to anyone. He doesn't, there's no one for him to look up to. The Bible says because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself when he swore to Abraham, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying you I will multiply you. And multiplying I will multiply you. God, God never has a crook in his neck. Sometimes I get a crook in my neck if I sleep the wrong way on the pillows, etc., and I wake up with a sore neck. God never has a sore neck because he never has to look, he never has to look up to anyone. There's no one for God to look up to. There's no, he's, the, he's not the very high. He's the most high. Glory to the Lamb of God. So let's go ahead and um, pray, and then we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. I'm going to start at verse 12, see if I can get through for, verse 14. If not, then we'll pick up on Sunday. 
wherever we leave off tonight. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're so blessed just to be able to mention your name, the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We ask that you, Lord, continue to open the eyes of our understanding, that we may know what is your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name forever. Blessed be your name forever. Lord, we pray that as a result of this preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world, we pray that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would be manifested by your Holy Spirit, O Lord. Blessed be your name forever. We thank you, Lord, for the report that we're getting that churches are being sustained in the midst of the pandemic. We thank you for the reports that we're getting that churches are being sustained and that offerings are even, in some cases, increasing. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you poured out your spirit of grace, that you poured out your spirit of abundance, Lord, upon these churches. We thank you, Lord God. We ask that you continue to do that by thy holy son, Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name forever. He is the head of the church, Lord. We are his body. Thank you, Lord. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Lord God. We bless you and we praise you. I pray that anyone who comes under the sound of my voice tonight, Lord, will not hear me, but will hear you. We'll hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches, Lord. In these last and evil days, we continue to pray about the social unrest and protesting, Lord. We pray continually for the Arberry, for the Breonna Taylor. We continue to pray for the George Floyd family. We continue to pray, Lord. We continue to pray. We continue to pray for children who were left behind, children who lost their daddy, Lord. Children who lost their mother, their sister, their father, their friend. God, we, we just need you, Lord. We're living in perilous times. We need you, Lord, by Jesus Christ, Lord. We pray that you continue to comfort those families. We pray that you will bring a healing of the wounds of racism, the wounds that afflict this land, Lord. If we would only obey your gospel, Lord. If we would, only, if we would only be reconciled to you, Lord, the vertical end of the cross, and be reconciled to each other, the horizontal end of the cross, Lord. If we would only be reconciled, if we would only stop trying to one-up one another, Lord. We would only stop what Dr. King called the drum major instinct. If we would only stop trying to be first and out front. If we would only by love serve one another, Lord. If we would only do it your way, God. If we would only do it your way, then things would be so much better. But like, like dumb sheep, Lord, we've gone our own way. And that's why you laid on your dear son the iniquity of us all. Help us, Lord, by Jesus Christ, we pray. Thank you for allowing us to mention his blessed name. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right. Well, God bless you, my beloved. Let's go ahead and get into Ephesians. We're going to start at verse 12, and we're going to try to get through uh, verse 14 tonight. All right. All right. So let me read verses 12 through 14. Let's see what we've got here. We've got, Paul says, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, and I love this verse. I love it. 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 Because he shows the steps that, that took place that resulted in our salvation. Verse 13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, I'm reading from the NASB here. After listening to the message of truth, the truth of the gospel, if you will, right? After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news, right? The good news, the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed 
in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. I love that verse. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. After listening to the message of truth, oh, you know, people today are talking about walking your truth. You know, walking your truth, honey. Oh, walking the truth of the gospel. After listening to the message of truth, he says the gospel of your salvation. That's the only gospel we should be concerned about. Having also believed... You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, which is how far we'll, we'll, we'll read tonight. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. I'm going to read that in the uh, King James Version. I'm not a King James only Christian, but I do love the King James Bible cut my teeth on the King James Bible so many years ago. It's kind of like your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend. You may go to others, but you never forget your first love, right? So my first Bible was King James. Let me go to the King James Version, and it says, I'm going to start at verse 12. Tell you what, let me start at verse 11, even though I won't teach from 11 tonight. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, remember I talked about how predestination is mentioned a lot in, in, this, uh, in this epistle. Being predestined according to the purpose of uh, him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Remember Paul is speaking, uh, he's saying we are the first fruits of the New Testament church. They, they were the first ones to give their lives to Christ. He says in verse 13, in whom you also trusted after that you after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Hallelujah. In whom also after that ye believed. See, if you hear the gospel of salvation, but you don't believe. then it's not doing you any good. Uh, a preacher preached a sermon some years ago. Believe and behave. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, as far as what we're going to talk about tonight, 12 through 14. All right, here we go. Verse 12, the holy apostle, meaning Paul. He glories in the Lord that he and other first century Christians, they were the first fruits. They were the first fruits to, to come out of the tree, right? They were the first oranges, the first grapes, the first apples. He says, we're the first fruits. The original apostles, of course, would be the first fruits, right? And then the apostles and then others got saved at Pentecost, etc. And then on and on and on and on. So he says, we are the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. He's speaking to these Ephesian Christians, but if you notice about, about uh, I'm going to say, uh, about 65 years after Jesus' resurrection, uh, uh, you had second generation Christians in the Ephesian church, and they had some problems. And Jesus, our Lord, had to address those problems in the book of Revelation. Uh, if I get a chance, I'll read Revelation 2, 1 through 7 tonight, if I don't forget. All right. 
But I tell you what, I'll go ahead and do it right now. Because if I if I if I don't do it now, then I might forget. If you remember in the book of the Revelation, in the book of the Apocalypse, uh, the Lord addressed uh, seven churches. There were more than seven churches in that area, but for his own reason, and his, his wisdom is greater than ours, his wisdom is perfect, he addressed uh, seven churches, seven his number of perfection, etc. The first church to be addressed in the Revelation was the church at Ephesus. But these were second, what we call second-generation Christians, and there were problems. Problems had crept up. There's an old saying, one generation earns the money, the next generation squanders it. So here we're dealing with second-generation Christians here. And so it says in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Revelation 2, it says, unto the angel of the church, or messenger of the church, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Remember Jesus, the seven stars were the messengers, the angels of the seven churches. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, a better translation is lampstands, better than candlesticks. Jesus was walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Each lampstand representing a church. The lampstand is supposed to hold what? Light. But if there's no light, then Jesus says, I'm going to take the lampstand away. What's the purpose of the lampstand if there's no light? Jesus said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. So he commended this church and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Remember, Paul had prophesied that evil wolves would, would, would come into the Ephesian church. He said it in Acts chapter 20. Evil wolves would come into the church. And, uh, and, and begin to seduce people with false doctrines, heresies, etc. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. Jesus said false apostles tried to come in and, and uh, deceive this church. But you've tried them who say they are apostles. You didn't just take their word for it. You've tried those who say they are apostles and they are not. You found them to be liars. You have borne and have patience, and for my name's sake, you have labored, and you have not fainted. But the Lord Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So that between uh, the, the, the beginning of the Ephesian church uh, in Acts and this period, there was a cooling off. It's kind of like when you've been married uh, for X amount of years, what some people call the seven-year itch, etc. If you've been married for X amount of time, uh, there can be a cooling off, uh, uh, that, that fervor, that passion that marked the beginning uh, years of the marriage. Now, as B.B. King said, the thrill is gone. And so Jesus is saying right here, the thrill is gone. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Jesus said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Repent means to have a sincere change of, of mind with the sincere intention to go in a different direction. So he says, repent and do the first works. Go back to the beginning of the marriage. Glory to God. Do the first works. Jesus said, or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Because if there's no light, there's no purpose of having the candle. The purpose of the candlestick, as Paul said in Philippians, is to show forth the word of life. He said to the Philippians, holding forth the word of life. So if there's no light, 
there's no purpose for the candlestick. So our Lord Jesus is saying here, if y'all don't repent and straighten this problem out, I'm going to remove the candlestick out of its place. He says, I will come unto you quickly. When Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to come unto you quickly, he's saying, you, you don't know when I'm coming. I'm like a thief in the night. I'm going to come quickly. And I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Then he commends them again in verse 6 of Revelation 2. He says, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans might have been a cult, a sect that had risen up in the church. The uh, it comes from two words. Um, uh, Nikos means um, uh, victory. Uh, Laos means over the people, like like the people, like the laity. You, you've seen like Catholic churches talk about the laity. So Nikos Laos, victory over the people. So there's one thought, there's one school of thought that the Nicolaitans were. Uh, the rising of the clergy hierarchy in the church that we see today, and especially in the Catholic Church, the rise of the clergy over, and they dominate the lives of the people. Now, the Bible, the Bible promotes leadership in the church, but what the Bible does not promote is when the leadership, as Peter said to the elders, he said, "Don't lord it over God's people because they're not your people; they're they're God's people. God sent you to shepherd them." And so, it's so one theory is that the Nicolaitans were. Uh, this this rising of the clergy uh, over the people, over the common people, and they, they ruled over the people, and they snuffed out the spiritual uh, liberty, the spiritual life of the people. Another theory is that the Nicolaitans were a sect started by Nicholas. Remember, he was one of the original deacons in Acts chapter 6. Remember, Stephen, Nicholas, etc. So another theory is that, Nicol is that the Nicolaitans were started by Nicholas of Antioch one of the original deacons. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time here in Revelation. I just want to show you Ephesians. He said, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He's going to mention this again to another church that had the Nicolaitans. They, they, they didn't hate the Nicolaitans. They allowed the Nicolaitans, whoever they were, to uh, be in that church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him who overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life. You remember the tree of life that Adam and Eve forfeited in the Garden of Eden? I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So that's, that's the Ephesian church uh, about 65, 70 years after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're probably dealing with second generation Christians here. Uh, who, some of them didn't have the, the fervor of the first generation Christian, the original Christians, the original apostles, etc. All right, now going back to Ephesians. I don't want to digress too much there. All right, so the holy, the holy apostle, he glories in the Lord that he and other first century Christians were the first fruits of Jesus' resurrection. All right, verse 13. He says in verse th 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Notice here the order that the Holy Apostle uses to describe the steps which lead to our eternal salvation. And I must emphasize, it's eternal salvation. How do we know it's eternal? Because the Lord seals us. It says in another place here in Ephesians in 4.30, Be, uh, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. 
you are sealed. So if we are if we are sealed until the day of redemption, then that means that our salvation is eternal. Because the Lord has sealed us. The Bible says he doesn't seal us 10 years after we get saved. He doesn't seal us after he sees how we're going to do. He seals us. The Bible says here in Ephesians uh, 1 and 13, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, after you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're sealed. We're hermetically sealed. And no one can break that seal. I'm going to read a passage in John where Jesus is going to say, nobody can break that seal. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will in no way, in no wise, by no means, cast out. So here the Holy Apostle, here's the order. He says, he says uh, we, heard the, we heard the truth of the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, right? We heard the truth of the gospel. You heard it on the radio. You heard it from going to church. Somebody gave you a tract. What, however you heard it, you couldn't get saved until the Holy Spirit moved in your heart and opened the eyes of your understanding to reveal Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter whether it was a tract, a Billy Graham crusade, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. You heard it on the internet. Uh, you were reading the Bible during a period in your life, a crisis period in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Without the moving of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts, it, it's not the. You can't get saved. You cannot come to God through Jesus Christ unless the, the unless the role of the Holy Spirit, unless the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Holy Spirit has a ministry to reveal Jesus Christ unto him, unto us. Jesus Himself said, "The Holy Spirit, He shall testify of Me. He shall take of Mine and shall show it unto you." So there's a role for the Holy Spirit. We we. We tend to think, oh, I got saved because I, 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 we get I-itis. No, it's a working of the Holy Spirit. It's a working of God. By grace, he's going to say in chapter 2, right? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. All right, so he says, we heard the truth of the gospel. We believe the gospel, the good news. We trusted in him who is both the subject an object of the gospel. Jesus is the subject of the gospel. He is also the object of the gospel. He is all in all. Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then we were eternally sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Greek says we were sealed with the spirit of the Holy Promise. <laughs> the English Bible say we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, we were sealed. We were hermetically sealed. When you hermetically seal something, it's a seal that cannot be broken by regular means. Only the individual who does the sealing can break the seal. In the Old Testament, when the king would make a pronouncement, he would put his ring, his signet, he would put the, uh, the, the imprint of his uh, ring, of his signet ring, and that indicated that this was a pronouncement by the king. And that pronouncement could not be broken. That's why when you read the Old Testament, when they tried to, uh, when, when they conspired against Daniel and against the three Hebrew boys, they went to the king and said, Oh, king, uh, there's somebody, uh, this guy, Daniel, he's praying to another god besides you. Because, you know, they were trying to run the okie doke on Daniel, etc. 
uh, O king, remember you made a commandment that nobody could pray to another god for 30 days. That nobody could pray to another god except you. And according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be altered. In other words, they were manipulating the king because they were trying to get rid of Daniel. They were jealous that that Daniel had been, that God had exalted Daniel to be a, a high uh, administrator in this pagan kingdom. Right, the Jews had been carried off to Babylon, but God still showed favor to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and other Jews. And so, and and so they manipulated the king into making an edict that nobody could pray to anybody except that king for thirty days. Daniel said, "Y'all crazy." He had his open. He had his window open in his uh, office. He had his window open to Jerusalem. Even though they had been deported, he had his window open to Jerusalem and he, and he prayed several times a day facing Jerusalem, meaning he had the prophetic expectation that he, or if, if not, then he, then other Jews would be eventually returning to Jerusalem. And they, they, his enemies saw him praying to God and they went back to the king. I want to say it was Darius. Oh, king, did you not make an edict? saying that nobody could pray for 30 days to any other God uh, except you. And, and, and remember, King, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, the King James says, which altereth not, which cannot be changed. And then Darius, they backed him into a corner. He put Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel makes one of the lions. He makes the lions into his pillows. The Lord delivers him, etc. But the point is, the king had made a promise. He couldn't break the promise. Let's look at one example in what we call the New Testament. John the Baptist uh, was preaching some things that some people didn't like. So Herod put him in jail. And Herodias' uh, daughter danced before Herod. She did a sexually suggestive dance before Herod. He, he was before all his lords and etc. I'm sure he had too much to drink, etc., and so she danced a sexually suggestive dance before Herod, a strip, I guess, a, what we call a lap dance today or whatever. And he got all excited. And uh, he said, uh, you know, ask me what you want up to the half of my kingdom and I'll give it to you. And Herodias and her daughter had already plotted. And because and Herodias said, had already said, when he asked you this, because I know him, when you get put a little put a little liquor in him and, and go and you know uh, back that thing up a little bit. You, you're going to get him to you know do what do what you want him to do. And so when he said, uh, "Ask me what you will, and I'll give you up to half my kingdom," Herodias' daughter didn't ask for the half the kingdom. She said, "I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, a prophet of God." John was already in prison because he had, he was preaching that uh, Herod, Herod and Herodias couldn't get married. It was a, it was an illegal, illicit marriage. And so uh, Herod didn't want to fulfill that promise. But he had to because he had made the promise. And he had made the promise in front of all his lords, all of his, uh, all of his um, uh, subordinates. And so he didn't want to do it, but he did. He went and had John the, the Baptist beheaded. So that would be two examples of earthly wicked. Uh, um, uh, uh, sinful kings making promises and having to keep those promises even though in the case in both cases they didn't want to Darius didn't want to uh, feed Daniel to the lions he knew Daniel was a godly man 
Herod didn't want to behead John the Baptist, but because he had made that promise, if he had broken that promise in front of all his lords and all his subordinates, he would have lost all credibility. And so he went and had John beheaded. All right, if these earthly kings make these promises and seal the promises with their signet ring, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians or whoever, they cannot be altered. God seals us with the Holy Spirit, not with his ring, with the Holy Spirit. He seals us until the day of redemption. Nobody can break that seal. Let me read what our Lord Jesus said here in John. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, uh, let's see. He says, I'm going to start at verse, uh, let's see, I lost my place here. Let's start at verse uh, 35, John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, you, you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, because God has a preordained plan. All that the Father gives me will come to me. If you're saved, it's because the Father has given you to the Lord Jesus Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now here's the verse I really wanted to get to. John 6:39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And so when you take that scripture and you see what Paul is saying to the Ephesians, he's saying that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. We've been sealed. All right? We've been sealed. Airtight. The Greek word means uh, hermetically sealed. Airtight. Nobody can break the seal. No man, no prelate, no bishop, no cardinal, no pope, no archbishop, no pastor. Nobody who's mad at you in the church or whatever. Nobody can break the seal. Nobody can break the seal. Nobody can break the seal. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. He says that again in, in uh, chapter 430. All right. So now, And then we go to uh, verse 14, which is where is the last verse that I'll teach from tonight. He says in verse 14, tell you what, let me read it. Uh, let me read it from the NIV. I'm not a big NIV fan. Uh, for some reason, I'm not crazy about the NIV. I don't know what it is. It's supposed to be based on some of the best manuscripts. You know, the older the manuscripts, the more reliable. The NIV is supposedly based on the oldest manuscripts. That's what I've learned. But for some reason, I don't know. I'm not crazy about the NIV. But anyway, that's not your problem. That's mine. He says in the NIV in chapter 1, he says in verse 14, he says, who is a deposit guarantee. Talking, in other words, from verse 13. Remember, we were sealed. In, in the NIV, it says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's going to say in verse 14, as a down payment. And if God if God makes a down payment, he doesn't renege on the down payment. The Bible in the King James call it calls it the earnest, like earnest money, the earnest of our inheritance. 
So it says in verse 14, who is a deposit guarantee. Glory to God. God says, I'm guaranteeing. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I guarantee it. When I save you, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to keep you till the day of redemption. I'm going to keep you till the Lord himself descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. I'm going to keep you till the dead in Christ rise first. I'm going to keep you until we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I'm going to keep you and I'm giving you the Holy Spirit as a down payment. Glory to the Lamb of God. He says, who is a deposit guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We are all God's property by faith in Jesus Christ. And God he could have given us something else. He could have given us something else. He could have given us an angel or something. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Glory to the Lamb of God. He gives us himself, really. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says as a down payment. Now, if the Holy Spirit is a down payment, man, I can't wait to see what... The, <laughs> glory to the Lamb of God. He says, who is a deposit guarantee, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right. So the Holy Spirit within us is God's down payment. This proves that our salvation is eternal, that God in Christ will never, ever leave nor forsake us. Let me read that again. The Holy Spirit within us is God's down payment. God's earnest money. You know, if you want to buy a house, you put down earnest money. And let's say the house is $400,000. And let's say you put down, you say, I'm, I'm, we're going to put down $30,000. Hold this house for us. We're going to get this house. We're going to give you $30,000 as earnest money. And now once you put down the earnest money, you don't get it back. So you put down $30,000 of earnest money. We want this house. Don't sell this house. We like, you know, the... The, the layout, etc. We want this house. We're going to put down some earnest money. Well, God gave us the Holy Spirit. Ephesians says he's the earnest of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit within us is God's down payment. This proves that our, our salvation is eternal. That God in Christ, notice it's God's faithfulness. We're called to be faithful, but you know we're flawed. We're called to be faithful, but God is faithful. Never, God is never unfaithful. Great is thy faithfulness, the song goes. We're called to be faithful. But God, being who he is, he's not going to, God is not going to make our salvation depend on us. Come on now. God, that would be like you asking your little child to drive a car in, in heavy traffic. You're not going to let your, you're not going to ask your little child to do that. That's, that's putting too much a burden of a burden on that child. God, God is not going to save us and then make our salvation, the continuance of our salvation. Uh, God is not going to make our salvation depend on us. God loves us, but he, know, he, he, he loves us, but he knows us. He, he's not going to make our salvation. Are you kidding me? You think God's going to make our salvation depend on, on us? No, God is too smart for that. He's too wise for that. He's too wise for that. Our salvation depends on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Our salvation depends on the fact that once we believe, according to Ephesians 1 and 13, 
the Bible says we are sealed. Hallelujah. We're hermetically sealed until the day of redemption. The Bible says that sealing is that, that the, the giving of the Holy Spirit to us. That's why I don't I don't I don't believe in the teaching. There are still people teach today that there are Christians who don't have the Holy Spirit. Why, why wouldn't they have the Holy Spirit? What would be the reason for God giving A, B, C, D, E, F, and G the Holy Spirit, but H, I, J, K, L, M, N, N, O, and P don't have the Holy Spirit? But yet there are Christians. That, that, that doesn't, it makes no theological sense. It makes no sense at all. Why would God save some Christians and give them the Holy Spirit, but save other Christians and not give them the Holy Spirit? It makes no sense when you, in, when you investigate it in, in light of Scripture. Because he says in Ephesians 1 and 13, after you believe the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So why would God seal the Ephesians, but not the Galatians? Why would God seal the Ephesians, but not the Corinthians? Why would God seal the, the Ephesians, but not the Thessalonians? Why would God seal the church at Ephesus, but not seal them in the church at Philadelphia? Why would God seal those at the church at Philadelphia and not seal those in the church at Smyrna? So, but there are, the, there are still those today who teach that, that uh, some Christians don't have the Holy Spirit. The, the issue is probably, does the Holy Spirit have control of us? Does the Holy, because all Christians, Paul says here in Ephesians, what goes for the Ephesians goes for us. This is not a cultural statement here where it, it just relates to, you know, first century Christians. This is a theological doctrinal statement, meaning it applies to the body of Christ. Paul could have said this very same thing to the Galatians, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the saints at Philippi. That after you believe the gospel, you heard the gospel, you believe the gospel, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the, um, until the redemption of the purchased possession. He could have said that to any church that, that he ministered unto. But by the will of God, he said it to the Ephesians. God is not going to seal some, seal some Christians and then not seal other Christians. It, it, I don't claim to know everything about God, but that makes exactly no sense. It makes no sense. It's like um, somebody today talked about boycotting. And they said, let's boycott such and such because of the protests, etc. They said, let's boycott. Are we all down to boycott on July 7th? And I said, why not boycott? Wouldn't it be more effective to boycott right before July 4th? And I, I, I mentioned the Montgomery bus boycott. The, the, Mon the Montgomery bus boycott was one of the reasons it was so effective. It affected Christmas shopping in, in 1955 and 1956. It affected Christmas shopping. Now, those people could tell you, I don't want you sitting in the front of the bus, but they sure wanted that money to come into those stores for Christmas shopping. So I said, wouldn't it be more effective to have the boycott? And this person gave me this reason why no, no, and, and, and you know, and blah, blah, this, that, and the third. And I just, I, I didn't even fuss. I just said, I, I just posted back online. I said, if you say so, and I left it alone. It, 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 because the answer the person gave made no sense at all. Why would you boycott July 7th when economically it would be more feasible to boycott 
let's say not buy meat, ribs, and all the things people like to cook on the 4th of July. To me, it would make more sense to boycott before, right before July 4th. That's just my opinion, but to me, it doesn't make any sense to boycott July 7th. The holiday's already passed. But here's my point. It doesn't make any sense to say that some Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit and others are not. Because that's a divided, that's like those people who teach that only part of the church is going to be raptured and part is not. That the more spiritual Christians are going to be raptured, but the nominal Christians, those who are not spiritual, they're not going to be raptured. There are people who teach that. That makes no sense at all. That is so unbiblical. There's, there's nothing in the Bible that teaches that. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ. Meaning believers. It didn't say the mature dead in Christ, the bishops, you know, those who were good pastors. It said the dead in Christ will rise first. So people have a, these, a lot of these beliefs and they're not scripturally based. If you're going to believe something, especially if you're going to be teaching it to others, it needs to be scripturally based. So God is not going to seal the people down at that church down there and not seal these believers down there. Again, the question is, does the Holy Spirit have control of us? Because you can be saved, but it doesn't mean that your will is conformed to the will of God. That's probably what people are, you know. Again, I use the, I use the illustration of the hurricane that bent the trees, Hurricane Katrina. It bent the trees. The hurricane, picture the hurricane as the Holy Spirit. Our will has to be bent to the will of God. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but, not every, but, but, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have the control of, of the life of every Christian. Otherwise, why would Paul have to say, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption? Grieve not, you know, despise not prophecies and stuff like that. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So you can be a Christian, but we can, and, and we've all done it, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, especially when we sin. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. But every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But we see the Holy Spirit manifested in, in, in different ways in different Christians. All Christians should bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But not every Christian bears the same gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not every Christian bears uh, um, the same fruit at the same time. Remember... Not all trees uh, bear fruit at the same time. There's some, there are some trees, I believe the fig tree, there are some trees that don't bear fruit until, uh, you know, like late in, the, late in the spring. That's why when Jesus gave the parable, he, he, he said, now take the fig tree. When you see the fig tree is sprouting leaves, he said, you know that summer is near. Likewise, when you see these things he mentioned in the Olivet Discourse, he said, know that my coming is near. All right, let, let me get ready to close here. The Holy Spirit within us is God's down payment. This proves that our salvation is eternal. Our salvation is eternal. Our salvation is eternal. God wouldn't save us and then unsave us. But there are people, there are many people in the body of Christ who believe you can lose your salvation. And I would always say to them, uh, show me somebody who's lost their salvation. Nobody has, ever, no, nobody has ever been able to do that. Or... Answer this question. At what point do you lose your salvation? At what point? Two sins? Eight sins? At what point do you lose your salvation? Nobody can answer that. And the reason is because we are sealed until the day. Now, you can lose reward. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, we must all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And our works will be judged, whether they're gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And if our works are wood, hay, or stubble, they'll be burned up. But the Bible says, but you won't be, but you will still be saved. Yes, so as by fire. So we can lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but you don't lose salvation. All right. But, you know, there are people who want to believe. And here's the sad thing. And then I'll go on and I'm going to close in a few minutes. Here's the sad part about it. Normally, when people think you can lose your salvation, even though they may not admit it, normally when people think you can lose your salvation, they think they had something to do with getting saved in the first place. They, in other words, they think they had something to do with getting saved in the first place. So therefore, since they think they had something to do with getting saved, then they always have this doubt, this fear that they can lose their salvation. The Holy Spirit within us is God's down payment. This proves that our salvation is eternal, that God in Christ will never, ever leave nor forsake us. And uh, I, I think I told you that, that, that Ephesians talks about several areas uh, like Christology and all that. Well, Ephesians 4.30, which we obviously haven't gotten to yet, is an eschatological statement. It, uh, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Eschatos, the word eschatos, where we get the word eschatology, it means the last things, like the doctrine of the last things, the last days. So grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. We're sealed until the day of redemption. I, I don't know why people choose to believe that, that we can lose our salvation. It's almost like, well, why, why would God do that? What's the purpose of God doing that? I know there are warnings about, you know, living right, etc. And if you don't live right, you're going to come under discipline and stuff like that. The Bible teaches that. The Bible doesn't teach that you can lose your salvation. All right. I'm going to close there because uh, that's where my notes stop. I stopped at verse 14. So what we'll do on uh, Sunday morning at 11 a.m., we will pick up. I'll probably pick up at verses 13, 14, and then move. Uh, the, the chapter has 23 verses, so that I'm not sure I'll finish chapter 1 on Sunday. But I'll do as many as I can. But I'm in no hurry. So God bless you, my beloved. Please, if you're not already um, uh, uh, obligated somewhere else, join us. At 11 a.m., I've been getting some good reports. I've been hearing that there are churches. We've been praying for churches to be sustained during the pandemic. And I've, I've heard some good reports that offerings uh, for churches are steady and even, even greater than they were before the pandemic. So we've been praying about that. And we give glory to God in Christ for that because you know how it goes, especially people who are not used to using online platforms, etc. But I, from what I've heard, there are some churches who who will send out, in the old days, they called them ward bosses, ward captains, to go pick up offerings and stuff like that. So glory to God in the highest. We, we praise the Lord because the Lord is able to sustain. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and he's able to sustain us, etc. A pandemic doesn't stop Jesus. We are the body of Christ. Whether we're in that building or not, we are the body of Christ. And so I give, I give thanks to God in the presence of you all for the, uh, for the report that churches are being sustained uh, with their offerings, etc. Even though many of them, I'm sure they're going to start uh, meeting now more and more, especially seeing these people protesting out here in the streets. You got people, you know, 10,000 people, half with masks on and half without masks, etc. So I, I've got a feeling as the summer goes on, more and more churches are going to start meeting 
in public. Uh, as far as I know, I won't be there. I'll be, I'll be right here uh, uh, on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. God bless you, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. We continue to pray for the country. We pray for the families of the individuals who have been killed, Lord, whether by police or by somebody else. We pray that you will comfort those families, Lord. We pray that you will continue to move by your Holy Spirit. We want to give you thanks, praise, honor, and glory for sustaining your churches, Lord. Hallelujah. Did we ever doubt that you would, Lord? Hallelujah. But you told us to pray without ceasing, God. We bless you. We praise you. We ask that you continue to do so. Bless those churches. Bless those leaders, Lord. Give them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We pray that you continue to bless the followers. Bless them to give, Lord. Bless them to give, whether through online platforms or having their offerings picked up by somebody else. By Jesus Christ, we pray that as a result of this teaching, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will come forward, Lord, according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Blessed be your name forever. We pray also for preaching and teaching all over the world, God, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be manifested according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We pray, Lord, that there will be such a moving of your Holy Spirit. We pray that this, this newfound unity, Lord, this newfound racial reconciliation, we pray that it is authentic and lasting. We pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would move in the midst, in the midst of this situation and that whites and blacks and Latinos and Asians, Lord, we pray that they will be filled with your Holy Spirit. For without being filled with your Holy Spirit, God, this, this is just a temporary unification, Lord. We pray that these people will be, will be filled with the Holy Ghost, those who are not already saved. By Jesus Christ, we pray. Blessed be your name. Thank you for allowing us to mention your name. For you and you alone are God. Blessed be your name forever. Please forgive us for our sins, Lord. Please help us to say no to sin. No matter how tempting, how alluring, how satisfying to our flesh it may be, help us to say yes to righteousness, which is only in thy holy son, Jesus, to whom be glory, praise, honor, dominion, and kingdom forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. And amen. God bless you, my beloved Lord. Uh, if you're not already obligated, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., we'll continue in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll pick up at, um, you know, right around verse 13, and then we'll take it from there. All right. God bless you. Take care. Pray for me. Bathe me in prayer, please. God bless you, my beloved. Amen. Bye-bye. Take care.